you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be looking in God's word. Someone once said that disappointment is what happens between expectations and reality. I'm sure many of us have experienced that before we we walk into something or we approach something with certain expectations. They're very high and the reality of what we experience doesn't quite live up to those expectations. In fact, sometimes it's not what we expected at all. Earlier this year, Jordan and I had the opportunity to go to Arizona and to see the Grand Canyon. And I was really excited about it. It was on my bucket list and we made plans and spent a lot of money to, to go there. And I remember waking up on the day we were going to drive up to where the Grand Canyon was, feeling great anticipation to, to see this thing that I had heard about and seen pictures of for a number of years. And when we get that, I'm immediately struck by the fact that I can't see a lot of it. If you've ever been on the southern side of the Grand Canyon, there are trees everywhere. And so you're driving down this road and you can't really see the Grand Canyon. There, there are places you pull in and you get pieces of it. You get parts of it. But it wasn't like the aerial shots that I had seen kind of in, encompassing the whole thing. In fact, it was so big and so grand, I couldn't really let myself be arrested by the grandeur of it. And so I don't know what I was expecting, but the reality is when we drove away that day, I was unimpressed. I know what some of you are saying, like my wife said, that's ridiculous, Jared. It's the Grand Canyon. It was incredible. It was a big ditch of dirt, and it was fine. You know, I mean, it's beautiful, but, you know, it's just a ditch at the end of the day. I don't know what I made it out to be, but whatever it was, when I got there, my expectations were not met. Have you ever been there? Maybe it's something even more profound than just a vacation experience where you expected something. Maybe even your, your walk with God. You expected something, and somehow the reality of what you expected, they didn't match. And you were left disappointed. You were left discouraged. You were left maybe even in doubt. This morning, we're introduced once again to a guy we've grown familiar with. His name is John the Baptist. John now, as the, the narrative of Matthew's gospel unfolds, is in prison, and he's wrestling with some unmet expectations about the, the message and the ministry of Jesus. And these unmet expectations have not just led to disappointment, but now maybe discouragement, possibly verging on doubt. It's funny how disappointment can grow, right? And it can lead us down all kinds of dangerous, dark paths in our, our walk of faith. And he asks in our passage today a very honest, revealing question. One that Jesus uses for his benefit and our benefit to teach us as his people about how to engage those moments when our expectations aren't met. How to engage them in a way that honors God. And doesn't lead to discouragement, but rather leads to more confidence in him and his plan. Here's our main point this morning from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 19. God wants to redefine 
our expectations through his word so that we can truly rest in the completed work of Christ. God wants to redefine our expectations through his word so that we can see what he sees and we can have proper expectations in alignment with his promises that leads us to fullness of joy, not disappointment. You know, sin has distorted our reality. Our brokenness has caused us to see the world in a broken way. It's given us incomplete or our faulty expectations of God. As we sometimes seek to recreate him in our own image rather than being reshaped into his. The work of the word, though, is to reveal God as he actually is, to help us see what God is actually doing and hear what he has actually promised so that we can have God-given expectations, a new, redeemed conception of reality because of his divinely given truth. You see, when we see the world as God sees it, it opens the door to joy rather than despair. It, it causes us to rejoice rather than to be left in disappointment. So let's see how Jesus engages this question today and helps us understand what we're to do when our expectations don't meet reality. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read the first 19 verses. Here's what the word of God says. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He hadn't given up his ministry yet, even though he's bringing his disciples along with him. So he's still out there doing the work of ministry. Now when John, the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one, the one who is to come, or shall we look for another. And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. As they went away, these disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he's got a demon. 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. In the beginning of our passage, John the Baptist asks a a pretty startling question in verse 3. He sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says to them to ask him, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? Now, this seems like quite a journey from the last time that we saw John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, where John baptizes Jesus, and he, he sees and witnesses God the Father's affirmation of the Son, his, his approval of Jesus as his Messiah. What's happened? Well, the circumstances have changed, haven't they? John the Baptist is now in prison, and in all likelihood he knows he will soon lose his life. And he's been getting reports about Jesus. He's been getting reports about the ministry of Jesus and what he has been proclaiming and what he's been doing among the people of God. And and it brings him some confusion. And he begins to ask himself, was I right? Have I I done what God has called me to do in the womb to prepare the way for the Messiah? Did I get it right or have have I missed it? And is what I'm experiencing right now worth all of this. You see, John's message and Jesus' message were a bit different, right? John the Baptist's message sounds like the message of an Old Testament prophet. If you've read any of the Old Testament prophets, they all said, repent. If you don't turn, God's judgment is going to come upon you. He's going to bring his righteous hammer upon you. And that's the same message, essentially, that John brings to the table. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Son of Man is about to come. And when he comes, he's going to be bringing the judgment of God. So you need to repent right now. At least that was John's expectation of what should happen when the Messiah came. But Jesus comes, and he offers a little bit different message. And he offers a slightly different ministry, a message of salvation and works of healing. It's a a different way that God is going about fulfilling what it was that he has been proclaiming. There wasn't the imminent judgment that John expected, but rather something else. And John begins to wonder in all likelihood, okay, where's the judgment? Where's the hammer, God, for your enemies? Where's the judgment upon the people of God? And and look at how Jesus responds to his question. And a a gentle, gracious, saviorly rebuke. You ever had one of those? Aren't you grateful for them? I know maybe in the moment you're not, but what an opportunity for God to minister to John the Baptist in these difficult circumstances. He says, go back to John the Baptist, and I want you to tell him, disciples of John, all that you see happening. And he lists them there in verses four to five. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame, they're walking. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raised, and the poor are hearing the good news of the gospel. 
Basically, Jesus is saying, John the Baptist, aren't I, in fact, doing exactly what God promised the Messiah would be doing? John, go read your Old Testament. Go read all the prophecies about what the Messiah will do when he comes the first time. Go look again, because I'm only doing exactly what God promised. Go back to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18, chapter 35, verse 5, when God said to the prophet Isaiah, out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The eyes of the blind will be opened. Go back, John the Baptist, and read Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, when the prophet Isaiah said, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Go back to Isaiah 53 verse 4 where it talks about the Messiah being afflicted to release those with afflictions like leprosy. Go back to Isaiah 29 again, verse 18 and chapter 35 verse 5 again and see how the deaf will hear the words of a book. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped Go back to Isaiah 26, verses 18 and 19, where the prophet says, We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Go back and remember what Isaiah said in chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Go back and look, John the Baptist. Everything God promised the Messiah would do, I am doing. This is exactly what's taking place. Matthew chapter 9. Verses 27 to 32, we see the blind receiving sight. Matthew chapter 15, verses 30 to 31, we will see the lame being caused to walk. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, we saw a leper being cleansed. Chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark, verses 32 to 34, we see the deaf being made able to hear. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, we've seen the dead be raised. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we saw the good news of the gospel being proclaimed to the poor. And so Jesus says to John, John, your disappointment, your disillusionment, your doubt, it's not because of me. You were just expecting the wrong thing and the wrong time. You need to have your your expectations realigned a little bit. What did God's word promise? He promised exactly what is being offered through me, the Messiah. Now, John, that doesn't mean that judgment won't come. God will respond to the violence that has been taken upon his kingdom. Jesus will return one day to judge the living and the dead, as Lord over all creation. But that will just be on the other side of his incredible offer of salvation and his first coming. You can't miss the first coming to get to the second. And then Jesus moves into the text to to commend John the Baptist 
to remind those listening in us today of, of the importance of John the Baptist in the, the narrative of Jesus. John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets prior to Christ. He's the, the new Elijah, Jesus said, prophesied about in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. John the Baptist wasn't some crazy guy. He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind, verse 7. He wasn't a materialistic opportunist, according to verse 8, like other prophets in soft clothing. He's in the king's house, but he's in the king's prison. He wasn't proclaiming a message to benefit himself. He was a true servant of God who prepared the way for the Messiah. But Jesus wants him to know and us to know that a transition is unfolding in God's redemptive plan. Something new is happening. Where for the people of God, his judgment, for the people of God, his judgment will not rain down upon them, but rather on his son. God is offering a new covenant, a new way of relating to God through the son that will allow all of those in that covenant to experience the goodness of God in ways that even this prophet could not have fully imagined. There's something new that God's been telling you about. You're going to get a new heart. He's going to write your law upon it. He's going to make his dwelling place in you. Something new is happening because of Jesus. And you need to have your expectations redefined by this new work of Christ. John the Baptist, everyone listening needs to know this new work is good. Let me redefine your expectations through this new work of Christ so that you can receive it and live in light of it for the glory of God. Otherwise, you're going to remain disappointed. Otherwise, you're going to miss it, and one day you will face judgment. See, John the Baptist comes to Jesus with sincere questions. He had a heart that was open to, to hearing from God. And the point here is when you come to Jesus in that way, he, he wants to answer you. He wants to, to, to speak into your situation and redefine your understanding so that you can be more aligned with, with God and the work that Christ is doing. But there are some people who just like to question for questioning's sake. Who come to Jesus with questions and rejection, not because they have sincerity of heart, but because they have a darkness in their heart. And they don't want to allow Christ to speak into their situation because ultimately they love that thing that they don't want to give up more than they love Jesus. Jesus says, if you're truly searching for God, then listen to my words. Don't reject me. Don't look anywhere else, and you will find everything you're searching for. But if you're one of those people who are critical at all times, you're never going to be happy anyway, and you will never experience the blessings that await. Look at me for a second at verses 16 to 19. Jesus says, what shall I compare to this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and, and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. 
The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This generation rejecting Jesus, they didn't like John's message. They thought it was too severe. John came saying, you don't need to eat or drink, repent. And they said to him, you got a demon in you. But they don't like Jesus' message either. He's saying, you can eat and you can drink and you can celebrate. And they said, this Jesus is a glutton and he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. For those who, who won't allow me to speak into their situation, who won't allow me to truly answer their questions, you'll never be satisfied and, and you won't embrace, experience the, the fruits of verse 11. Think about how incredible what Jesus says here in verse 11 is. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist to this point in redemptive history. But listen to what he says. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, but he will die before the, the work of Christ is finished. He won't be able to experience the fullness of the work of Christ in this life, the way those coming after Jesus will. And as great as John the Baptist was, the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least in the kingdom of God, the least of those who received the work of Christ is greater than John the Baptist and the blessing they will receive. That awaits for you if you allow Jesus to speak into your life. If you reject it, though, judgment awaits. And i got to say, guys, I'm comforted by this passage. Anybody else comforted by what we see taking place in this passage? The honesty of this passage I find so comforting that John the Baptist would have a moment like this where in despair he has to cry out to Jesus, someone touched by the spirit in the womb to prepare the way for Jesus, that that he would have a moment of discouragement where he needs to come back to Jesus and say, hey, have I missed something? Suddenly my own questions don't feel so disappointing. Maybe you can relate to that. Isn't it good to know that God can handle our questions? Isn't it good to know that when you come to Jesus with a, a true and honest, sincere heart, that he is waiting to speak into your life? to give you comfort. I want us to wrestle with this a little bit. I want us to see how Jesus is, is teaching us and his interaction with, with John the Baptist and these listeners about how to approach God with our questions in a way that honors him and how to allow him to speak into those questions so that we walk forward not in discouragement but in joy. Can we do that for a minute? I think it'd be helpful. It's helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. What do we do when we have questions? How do we, how do we approach God when our expectations aren't, aren't meeting reality and we feel our, our spirits begin to move into a place of discouragement? Let's look at Christ's response here to let him guide us in those moments. So, firstly, when you have a moment of questioning before God, the first thing you need to do is to check your expectations against the word of God. 
Check your expectations against the word of God. When we find ourselves disappointed that God didn't do something and it's setting us on the road of doubt, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, did God really promise that? You ever been in a moment like that? Where you're mad at God for not doing something, but he never promised that he would do it? I'm sure many of us have found ourselves in moments like that. I want you to think about this. If you were, if you were John the Baptist in this scenario, how would you have responded wouldn't you be disappointed? If you're, if you're just doing what God called you to do and somehow you ended up in prison and you knew that your head may be on a platter in the near future, in our, a moment of weakness, we may have said, God, hey, what about your providential care? Have you missed something? Did you take the day off? I thought if I was good, you'd give me blessing. But instead, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering here. What's that about? You see, the danger of us and our brokenness is that we think God should act like we do. And that's, what, that's how we act with one another, right? Like if, if Jordan, my wife, does something good, I praise her and I bless her. If she does something wrong, then I attack her. And then she attacks me, and then we go to marriage counseling. Right? That's, that's the way human nature is. That's how we respond to one another. But, but God's not like that. Aren't you glad? He acts differently. He, he sees things differently. He has different purposes, higher ways than we can imagine, and how he wants to interact with us. And so we have to let him reveal himself to us to understand exactly how he wants to interact with us. You see, God never promised, and we talk about this a lot because there's so much false teaching out there, God never promised that our lives as Christians would be free from suffering and hardship. What he promised us is when there's fire, he's going to be in it with us. And that one day, he will set all things right. That's what he promised. We've got to live in light in that. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in places of despair and discouragement. Friends, that's why it's so important that every day, every day, we spend time in the word of God. Every day. I don't... Jared, I don't have enough time. Can you give me five minutes? Just sit before the Lord and say, God, teach me something about you today that I can implement in my life to help me better understand who you are and who you're calling me to be in Christ. We need to have our expectations defined by the truth of God's word. We need to have our minds renewed by the revelation of God to understand how sin has perverted our idea of God and what he has promised to give us. Let's not... Let's not fall victim to Job's friend syndrome. Some of you may remember the story of Job. It's a character in the Old Testament, one of the oldest books of the Bible. And this guy suffers a lot. He loses all of his belongings. He loses his family. He loses his health. And his friends look at him and they say, hey, Job, did the innocent ever suffer? You must have done something to deserve this. What did you do? Repent of it, and God will restore you. But, but God begins the book by saying, Job is a righteous man. And I'm going to do this to show his righteousness, to show his commitment. What a different perspective, right? The view of God versus the view of man. We've got to make sure that we allow God to set our perspective. Let God set our expectations 
and not expect God to act in the way that we would. Because if any of us are saved in this room, if any of us have Christ in this room, it's good that God doesn't act the way that we do. He's infinitely more gracious and merciful than we are. And allows us to rest in that. So maybe we need to let God change our expectations through his word. Secondly, maybe we need to trust in the timing of God. Not just redefining our expectations, but having the timing of the fulfillment of our expectations adjusted according to his timeline. I actually think this is the correction that, that John the Baptist really needs in our passage. Again, judgment is going to come by the hand of Jesus. But in his second coming, not his first. The first coming was a gracious coming. To fully realize the redemptive plan of God and to, to offer the work of salvation. You see, sometimes we just don't understand the timing of God. And John needs to readjust his expectations in the timeline of God, not his timeline. I think in our lives, the question of how long, O oh Lord, or when are you going to do this, is a common refrain. We see injustice, or we see difficulty in our lives, or we see the, the wicked flourishing. That's a, it's a common sentiment in the Psalms. Like, God, why don't you do something about this? When are you going to act? And if we're not careful, that can lead to a, a place of despair and discouragement when we're having hardship as the people of God, and yet they're flourishing. And, and we had to have a moment, a, a God moment, where the Holy Spirit of God says, hey, remember the whole story. Remember everything that's going to happen. Remember, remember God's timeline may be different than your timeline. Here's the question you need, to, you need to ask. Do you trust that God knows more than you do? Do you trust that God sees more than you see? And do you trust the promise of Scripture that everything that happens in your life is ultimately for his glory and your good? Do you believe those things? Maybe you have the right expectation, but your timing of when that expectation should be realized is off. You've got to trust in the sovereignty of God. You've got to trust that in his perfect timing, what you need and what he has promised will come through. Or thirdly, when you have questions, Check them against the word of God. Help situate in the timing of God. But maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Maybe there's a, a sinful reason in your heart that has led you to a place of discouragement and disillusionment. This last suggestion, I think, is perhaps the most difficult because it requires us to spend time before the Lord, asking him, giving him access to our heart, asking the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, Maybe there's a restlessness in us, a questioning in us, that's not just the result of wanting to trust in God for a specific need. And it doesn't really matter what he says, we won't like it. Maybe there's a, a questioning or a critical spirit in our heart because there's something in our lives that we don't want to give up. And we don't want God to redefine our understanding of it. And we don't want him to take it away in his own timing. 
And it doesn't matter what God said. Fast or feast, we won't be happy because we don't believe that what he gives us is good. There, there are people who are critical for the sake of being critical, asking questions, never really wanting an answer. And there are people who do that on the, on the front side of salvation. It's like a defense mechanism. I, I walked with a guy for a number of years in Houston in my church down there, and he had so many questions. He was a skeptic by nature, and it seemed like over time he just enjoyed being a skeptic. It didn't matter how many answers I gave him, how many good answers I gave him to his questions. He always had another question. At some point I said to him, we'll call him Bob, Bob, listen, you can always come up with more questions. Here's, here's the real question. Based on what you know about Jesus and what God has done for you in Jesus, is that enough to give your life to him? We're not going to have all the questions answered on this side of heaven, but based on what you do know, what God has revealed to you, is that enough to repent and believe in him and salvation? And you never cross that line. Too many questions. Well, it didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter what message was offered. He just had more questions because he ultimately didn't want to give his life over. But even on the other side of Christ, there are times where there are things in our lives that we don't want to give up. And we turn to God Hey, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And God begins to tell you it's because that thing's in your life. And you haven't rejected it, but you don't want to hear that, and so you hold on to it. You haven't come with a, a sincere heart before him. And wisdom is not being justified in your life. Even those who are in Christ can be rebellious and not accepting the answer that God gives as being good enough because our hearts are broken and we don't believe he's enough. That's, that's ultimately the critique of Jesus' own generation. There in verse 16, it didn't matter what the answer was, they weren't satisfied. Here's the question, are you? When God redefines your expectations and he, he sets yourself, he, he resets your understanding of his timing. Are you able to rest in what he has promised? Are you able to rest in what he has given? Or do you long for something outside of him because you don't believe he's ultimately good? That can lead to a place of discouragement, despair, doubt. Don't let sin rob you of the joy that God has for you. Confess it. Let the word redefine your expectations and trust your joy and satisfaction to God. Friends, are we willing to rest in the word of God? Are we willing to trust that what he has said is enough? Even when we don't understand fully, what we have is enough to say that he is good. Will you trust that his promises and his timing are good and right and that whatever you lose, as in the story of Job, and this life will be restored tenfold, if not here, then in the next? I want us to be a people. Let's, can we commit to this? Let's be a people who trust in the faithfulness of God, who trust in the promises of God, and let's see Jesus as the proof of that faithfulness.
We saw it this morning in our text. God has been promising the salvation. And everything he's promised has been fully realized in Christ. Do you see it? Have you responded to this work in repentance and belief? Confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that, that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do to save us from an eternity of separation from God? If God fulfilled those promises, is there a promise he won't fulfill? Can you trust in that? And are you willing to wait for the day until he returns and completes this work, remaining faithful to that end? Do you trust him? Do you trust him for your salvation? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your future? Do you have questions today? Do you have doubts? Why? Do you need to let the word of God redefine your expectations? Do you need to rethink the timing? Or is there maybe something in your heart you need to surrender? Wherever you're at today, would you just bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord. Asking him to help you know how to respond. Again, if you don't know Christ today, what an incredible moment for you to step into the provision of God. Would you just pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to the reality of who God is and what he has done for you in Christ? Would you just ask him to remove these questions because what he has revealed is enough would you give your life to him today? For those who are in Christ, are you in a John the Baptist moment? Are there some expectations that maybe need to be redefined? Timing, recalibrated? Or is there some sin in your life? Would you come to, to Jesus today with a sincere, open heart? Trusting that he will speak into that, that he wants to speak into that? To give you confidence in him and his plan? Father, would you help us today? Step into joy, step into encouragement, step into worship. Because we trust, we believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you, have, you will do. Help us believe that and walk in that, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Certainly an appropriate response is to sing and give praise to our God. So let's stand and do that together right now.